Good morning. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, I don't know about you, but the worship time today in song was just, just splendid. Man, I, I love the songs. I, I love the fact that we're in, a, in Philippians because it's about rejoicing. It's about joy, you know, the joy-filled life. And, and uh, the songs that we're singing, I think, really bring out that joy. I hope that you're able to experience that today. And, you know, the hymns that we do, you know, we, we sing my favorite hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. Now, we sang it pretty quick, but I love it. And if you pay attention to the words to that song, you will not find anywhere on the earth a hymn that is stronger and more rich in theology, in sound doctrine, than a mighty fortress is our God. So what a, what a blessing to sing that with you. And to grow as a church, we're in Philippians. Uh, Debbie talked to you about the little notebooks that we have for you to pick up in the back, if you haven't already, where you can write your thoughts. But it also holds the ESV scripture on the book of Philippians, so you can use it for both purposes. Uh, today, let's, uh, let's begin with prayer as we launch into verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. Father, what we need more than anything is what Brother Doug shared with us that our prayer is that love would just fill this place, the love of God. And it would not just be a love that covers us, but we would see that it's a love that you have already deposited in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. 
The question is, are we accessing it? Are we utilizing the love that you've put in us? And the, the outcome of that love is it impacts others. That, that the love of God in us, it would both compel us, it would bring us to a point of action towards others. I pray that today, Lord, in this teaching from the Word of God, that we would get that. We would understand just how beautiful your love is and how that love is to be portrayed in us and through us that our church would walk in unity, that our church would, be, would grow up in spiritual maturity in the faith. Oh, Lord, may that mark be on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Three verses today. I, I was listening to a couple ladies who were in discussion before service. The one was saying how in their women's Bible study, they're doing a verse-by-verse -verse study, and they're just biting off little verses they're not reading whole chapters, trying to figure it all out. They're taking just little verses. And she was saying how I've never realized how much is in one little verse or two or three little verses. I often think I've got to read the whole chapter. I've got to bite the whole thing at one time. And yet that's not really what the Bible teaches. You take verse by verse. And today we're just looking at three verses so we're kind of moving slow. We're in chapter 1. We're not going to get past verse 11 yet. So this little book with four chapters could take us quite a while, but that's okay. We're going to bite off piece by piece and chew it well and digest it, praying that it will become part of us, that the Word would dwell richly inside of us. Amen? So let's look at the three verses today, verse 9, chapter 1 of Philippians. And it is my prayer, Paul said, so this is a prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is praying for the continual spiritual progression or development of the Philippian believers. Like newborn babes require, need milk, so newborn spiritual babies in Christ need constant feeding of the Word of God, the milk of the Word. And that's why Paul established the ministry. This is what God put in him that he would go around and develop Christians by sharing the gospel, God, the Spirit would fill them, and then they would start a church, and Paul would write letters to these churches, constantly pouring in them the love of God, the spiritual requirement to spiritually grow. You need love, you need understanding. He said here, you need uh, knowledge and discernment to grow in Christ. And so Paul was all about that. This was interesting to this. He, this was always Paul's focus when he prayed for the churches. I don't care what book of the, what epistle he wrote to what church that he was writing, he always made it about their spiritual maturity. The apostle Paul never focused, get this, 
He never focused on personal needs of people. When he prayed for churches, he never prayed for their physical needs. It doesn't mean that praying for spiritual, physical needs is wrong. It's not wrong, it's right. But Paul's emphasis, Paul's ministry, Paul's compulsion was to pray for spiritual growth in believers. I must tell you that that's the greatest desire of my heart as one of the shepherds. I'm sure it's the same for all the shepherds, all the elders of our church, that you would grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's why. If you'll grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, if you'll grow in understanding what it means to be mature in Christ, you will be compelled to pray for needs for people. That's a byproduct. But the most important priority for each of us is that we would grow spiritually. If you look at Paul's ministry, I'm going to give you some verses. Don't turn because I'm moving very quickly through them, okay? Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Just write it down. Galatians 4, 19. This is what Paul prayed for the church in Galatia. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's in anguish. He's in pain for them that they would be formed to the image of Jesus that they would grow up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's Paul's desire that the church would have a unity of faith. They would grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, that they would come into maturity mature manhood, mature womanhood, and that the measure of their stature would be up to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. You'll never get there, by the way, on this side of eternity. But in heaven you will. But on this side, pursue it. Go hard after it to grow up in Christ. Amen? Again, his desire for those in Christ, in the, in, in the church in Ephesus, would be to grow, to grow, to spiritually develop. In his letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone to teach, uh, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we must present everyone, listen, mature in Christ. Paul saying, my goal is to prepare you and to present you to God as mature in the faith. It's not, it's, it's, it should not be the norm inside the church of Jesus Christ that we have people who just come and attend on Sunday and then go live whatever kind of life through the week. That should not be the case. It should be said of the church of Jesus Christ that every person coming, they see this on Sunday morning, the opportunity to come together in fellowship and worship the one true God so that they might continually grow, 
so that they take what they've learned on Sunday or they take what they've learned in men's Bible study or what they've learned in women's Bible study or what they've learned in their little small group Bible study or whatever kind of study you're doing and you apply it to your life every day that what you were a week ago on Sunday, you're not today. You've grown in the last week. You've grown by study of the word and learning more and more, and you've grown by applying the word in real life experience. And you see that, my goodness, my faith is strengthened by what I've learned and how I'm living my life now. I'm living a, more, a stronger faith, a stronger hope in Christ. There's a, there's a constant development going on, going on. It's a progression. And by the way, we're all in different stages of progression, right? Some of you have been in the Lord a long time. You've studied the Word a long time. And so your progression is further along in your maturity, and that's good. Some of you are just getting started. And your progression is just at the beginning. You're, you're actually, you haven't, even been, you haven't been weaned off of the milk of the Word. When I say milk of the word, I mean just the foundational principles, the foundational doctrines, knowing who God is, knowing who Jesus Christ is, knowing who the Holy Spirit is, knowing what the purpose of church is according to God's word, knowing what the purpose of prayer is, knowing how to study the Bible. Those are all things we learn in the weaning stage of Christian, Christian growth. And then once we come through that weaning, now we begin to go even deeper in our study of the Word. It's an ongoing thing, and all of us are on the path somewhere. But I'm afraid, my fear, my concern is that there's quite a few, even at Vero Bible Fellowship, who would say they've gotten saved, but they've just been sitting there, laying there, sucking on the teat of God. Knowing I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm good enough, I, I, that's all I need. And you're not growing. You're not developing. There's no spiritual progression. In fact, you're just laying there. You're not doing anything. Oh, God, wake us up from that. Let us be a church that's absolutely moving in the direction to Jesus. Amen? In our understanding. This is important. Peter Peter also, not just Paul, Peter echoed the same yearning as Paul. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he said, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, okay, he said a lot of things. Peter said a lot of things. This is the last thing he said in 2 Peter. He wrote two epistles. This is the second epistle. The last thing he said in his letter to the church. Usually when you come down to the end of a person's writing, they're going to really give you the strongest words at the end. What are, what are Peter's strongest words? Grow! Grow in two ways, in grace, grow in love, and grow in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's the knowledge? Because I've had a lot of experiences with Jesus, so I feel like I already know him pretty well. No, no, I'm not talking about your experience. I'm talking about what the scripture says about Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is talked about in Genesis. Jesus is talked about all the way to Revelation. 
He's in every book. So you got a lot of studying to do. Amen? There's never going to be a time when you've got it all figured out. I have no clue. People come up to me with these questions. I'm like, ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I don't have an answer. But I'll pray, and I'll seek God for an answer, and I'll get back to you. I'm always growing. I'm always learning. So are you. Amen? Amen. That's the way it should be. So Paul had a passion for the spiritual development of God's people. This was his great concern. This passion came out not only in his preaching and his teaching, but it also came out in his writing. And here in our text, it comes out in a prayer. And it's in every prayer that Paul ever gave to any church. That's pretty cool. That kind of tells you this is important. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, let me just read for you. Verse, if you want to write it down, Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. Here's what it says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. What is he talking about? When I pray to God, I never stop giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. What's he remembering about me in his prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Isn't that beautiful? That's what Paul was always praying for believers. That is what Peter was praying for the believers. That is what the shepherds of this flock pray for this congregation, for your spiritual maturity, that you would continually be moving forward. So Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, go ahead and write that down. Hey, I'm just giving you, hey, I'm standing behind the word of God on this. You can come attack me if you'd like after service. I'm just going to hide behind the word. All I gave you was the word of God. If you got a problem with what I'm saying, you got a problem with God, not me. And I'm not saying that anybody here has a problem with it. It's not a problem with it. It's just... It's kind of convicting, isn't it? To read these passages, it becomes convicting. Man, am I living up to this? Well, first of all, God is not trying to condemn you in this. To, to condemn is to pronounce judgment. In other words, there's no hope for any change. That's condemnation. But see, the spirit of the living God lives in you, and he's not there to condemn you. He is there to challenge you. He is there to convict you. Why? Because he believes that you can change. So whatever you're feeling right now, don't let Satan plant seeds of condemnation in your heart. Know that God is speaking to you if you feel conviction. That's a good sign, by the way. If you didn't feel conviction of the Spirit, um, you probably committed the unpardonable sin. There's no hope for you. But if you feel conviction... That ain't happened yet. He's still coming after you. The hound dog of heaven is sniffing your way. Amen. So what's the answer? Respond. Lord, make me better after this teaching today. I'm not looking to be perfect today because nobody in this room is perfect, 
but I am looking to be different this week than I was last week. Amen? That's a good goal. Okay, so Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, for the reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Listen now. Paul's not saying, I pray that you'll have all these incredible manifestations. You'll have all these outward experiences. It's not his prayer. I'm praying that there would be power of the Spirit inside of you, in your inner being, so that, here's the reason for it, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. My faith is to be strengthened. That you being rooted and grounded in love. My life is built upon a strong rooting and grounding of God's love. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what Paul is praying for the church. That is what we should be praying for one another. I pray, brother, I pray, sister, that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What's the measure of the fullness of God? The height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God would be in you, on you, over you, upon you, and flow out of you. Amen? In writing to the church in Colossae, write this down, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here it is again. Paul's all about prayer. Are you getting the feeling that prayer is vital to the life of the believer? And he says, I pr- it, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let me just back up and say this. Paul's not praying for the church. Oh, God, I pray that this week they just have these incredible spiritual manifestations. I pray that somehow these outward experiences would be so profound. I pray that they would see visions. I pray that they would have dreams. I pray that all the... He's not praying that stuff. He's praying that they would turn to the word of God and find strength in the truths of God's word. They would take serious the value of the veracity that's found only in the word of God. You do know that God is immutable and his word is immutable. It never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It has the power to change you. You say, I need a change in my marriage. Get in the word. Stop focusing on your spouse and their issues. You get in the word of God. You become a different person by the Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of Jesus. Do your part. Let the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven, go to work on your spouse. Amen? That's hard to do, by the way. That really is hard. Because we're constantly seeing how our spouse isn't measuring up. But the problem with that is now your thinking is all consumed in their backyard. All you're doing is walking around in their backyard and looking at all the mess 
Look at that trash laying over there. I, I'd pick that up. That's not in my backyard. And God says, well, what about your backyard? Let's go take a look at the junk in your trunk. And God begins to do a work and show you the mess that's in you. That's what he's after. And how's he going to show it to you? He's going to reveal to you what it looks like to be a godly husband, to be a godly man, what it looks like to be a godly woman, to remove the selfishness that wants you to focus solely on your, the problems of your spouse. And now all of a sudden he has me looking at my mess and seeing just how selfish of a person I've become, how much of an egotist I've become, how the one thing missing in my life is humility. By the way, you don't pursue humility. You can't. If you say, well, I'm working real hard to be humble, you'll never get there. The humble people don't know that they're humble because they're not pursuing humility. They're pursuing God. And the more they know about God, the closer in their relationship they come to Jesus, the more all that nonsense, the flesh, falls off of them. And they're actually becoming humble and don't even know it. That's the beauty of it. Many of you know uh, one of the local radio talk show guys, Rhett Palmer. And uh, Rhett uh, and I were talking one time, and he shared, he's interviewed, he has interviewed a lot of interesting people, a lot of celebrity. It's pretty bizarre, the number of celebrities that, that he's interviewed. Well, he interviewed Billy Graham. Ray, that ought to pique your interest. He caught Dr. Graham coming off of the stage at some evangelistic event. I don't know if it was a crusade or what, but as he, it was outdoors, and as he came off the stage, uh, he said, Dr. Graham, do you have just a moment? I'd love to just have a quick interview with you. And Dr. Graham looked right past what he was saying, and he looked at Rhett in the face. He says, son, are you okay? And he says, oh, why? He said, because you're flush. And he said, oh, Dr. Graham, I've just been out in the sun today. He goes, uh, that's all it is. It's not a big deal. He said, okay. He said, Dr. Graham, you exude a humility. What is the secret to that? How have you, how have you become such a humble man? And Dr. Graham looked at him and said, you know, son, if we have to talk about it, we don't have it. Wow. Think about that. When you have to talk about it, that's your pride speaking. So see, we're on a journey here, each of us. And our journey is to get in our own backyard and learn what God wants to teach us individually. See, the Holy Spirit lives in you not to tell you about somebody else. He lives in you to reveal what's inside of your heart and go to work. What the Holy Spirit does, first of all, is he comforts you. He never comes with harshness. He never comes with condemnation, as we said earlier. He comes with love. Love comforts us. It opens us up. Perfect love, the Scripture says, will cast out all fear. See, some of you are afraid 
to listen if you're saved, the Spirit's in you. If you're not saved, the Spirit's not in you. So please understand that. But if you're saved and the Spirit's in you, many of us don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit says because we know we're not walking close with the Lord. But you've got to understand, the first work of the Spirit is to reveal to you how much God loves you and to overwhelm you in the love of God so that it softens you, it opens you up that you now don't have fear, but now you're letting love lead you into looking at things honestly inside of you. That is the work of the Spirit. And then the Spirit begins to teach you. He begins to teach you. He does it in several ways. Sometimes he, he exhorts you. When I say exhort, I mean he encourages you towards something. You really do need to start studying your Bible every day. He didn't say it in a harsh way. He didn't give you a warning. He, he exhorted you. He encouraged you. What did he do? He put courage in you to study the word. But something else he'll do is he will correct you. So where you're reading in the scripture and you're like, yeah, I know what that means. And he's like, no, you really don't. You heard some preacher say that years ago and you've held on to that thinking that's the interpretation, and it's not. We're going to study the Word and learn why God said that, and I'm going to give you understanding that you don't have. You ought to be thankful that the Spirit corrects. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit, after He's filled you and you know that you're loved, you know that He loves you, He's not saying anything to hurt you, to judge you. He's saying it because He loves you. So what He does is He rebukes you. Sometimes we need a strong rebuke. We get off on the wrong path, and the Lord says, uh, hey, snap out of it. The Holy Spirit, what are you doing? You know better than that. Get back over here. When my father, he's sitting right over there. We go to somebody's house for lunch, you know, or dinner. On Sunday, sometimes we go to somebody's house, but if they had came over to our house, that was probably more the case, We'd, they would invite people in. My mom has the gift of hospitality. You talk about putting out a southern meal. Oh, my goodness. And, and we would, these folks, would come, but before they would come, we were always warned, the four kids, three boys. My sister got off easy every single time. No, not really. Okay, so... I just like saying that, okay? I tell her that to this day. Um, we get the warning. Hey, no running through the house. I know that they got kids, and, and you lead, by example. No running in the house. And you don't come into the living room where, where the adults are having conversation and start making a mess and, all, and getting, getting loud. Uh, and, and so we knew that. So we, we'd be in there, and sure enough, Lawrence Wainwright, one of my buddies, he'd start giggling and laughing, and we'd start playing and getting loud and running or whatever, and my dad would just look over at me and go, give me that look. Or my mom would go. <laughs> and let me tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to find a chair quickly and sit in it. If there wasn't a chair, find something and sit on it. Stop doing what you're doing. Behave. Because if I didn't, 
when that night was over, my father would apply the, plast- or the, the misery to the plaster. I mean, he would light me up for disobedience. And he had a right to do it. And he never spanked me out of anger, never once, but he would administer the pain. Well, the Holy Spirit does that. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what it's about. So you want the Holy Spirit to have an active role in your life, leading you, governing you, guiding you. Jesus said he'll guide you in all truth. You want that in your life. Now, we don't find examples of Paul praying for the needs of the church, you know, praying for the success of the church, praying that the people will be successful in life, praying that God will just give you increase upon increase, that you'll be at the top of the, of the chain on the, at, the, at the workplace, and you're going to have title after title, and you're going to be known all over the community. You've got preachers who get up and talk about that stuff. Can you believe that nonsense? It has nothing to do with the Bible. No, Paul's prayer was, I'm praying that you'll grow spiritually inside Leave the rest of that stuff to God. Amen? Well, this should lead us to the conclusion that nothing is more definitive of true spirituality than the nature of a person's prayer life. Paul was compelled to pray because of the tremendous working of God's Spirit in his heart, and he's praying that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart. So you need to be praying for that every day from the Holy Spirit. Amen? That God would do a fresh work today in my life. So Paul says in our text, we're just now getting to the text. Verse 9, and it is my prayer. It is my prayer. I love that. He says, "As, as we think about prayer, we must look at prayer two ways. Okay, think about prayer this way. First, prayer is a responsibility. I want you to see that. Prayer is a responsibility of the believer. Secondly, Prayer is a compulsion. Not only are you doing it out of a duty, but you're doing it because you're compelled from the inside. Guess who's doing the compelling? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's take a look at this. First of all, prayer is a responsibility of the believer. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you hear what he said? But in everything, pray. There's this present verb that speaks of a continual prayer. It's not just something I do and then I stop, come back to it later. You continually pray. You say, I can't do that all day. You know, i got to drive a car. I can't just. No, you think about. Prayer is not just you closing your eyes. In fact, the Bible doesn't teach you to close your eyes. The Bible just says pray. Always be thinking about God's work in you and God's work in others. Praying for yourself, praying for the intercession of others. Let me give you some verses, write them down real quick. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How about this one? Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. How about Luke 18, 1, Jesus gave the parable of the persistent widow and started it by saying this, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You get the idea that God never wants you to stop praying? It's part of your spiritual development. 
How about 1 Peter 4, 7? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Paul's assuming that you're praying. But there's something else about prayer that is much deeper than just seeing it as a responsibility. We also are compelled to pray, as I said. That's why there's so many scriptures that tell us how to pray. We, we need to see the responsibility to pray, but we also need to understand. See, the responsibility to pray oftentimes is coming from the outside. But the internal desire to prayer comes from the inside, from the Holy Spirit. Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2. This is, one of, this is a great passage. It's a song that uh, back when I was a kid, second chapter of Acts, I was a teenager, second chapter of Acts did a, Matthew Ward did a actual, uh, he took this song and made a, uh, took this verse and made a song out of it. It's beautiful. Psalm 61, 2. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. You get a sense that prayer is more than just a duty? He's feeling something within. You don't think that does it for you? How about the psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 1? Listen to this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. He goes further. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come appear before the Lord? There's this compelling from inside of him to pray. How about Acts 6, 3, and 4, when the apostles were approached by people who were concerned over the fact that the bread being distributed in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost, you know, so 3,000 people got saved. Many of them were Grecian widows. Uh, they were Hellenistic widows. They were Jews, but they lived in, in Greek culture somewhere else in the world, some, some country. And now they're, they're in Jerusalem because of the, the, the day of Pentecost, and in the dis distribution of the bread to all the new believers, they weren't giving the same amount of bread to the Grecian or the Hellenistic Jews as they were the Jews from Jerusalem. It was a concern. And so they came to the apostles and said, what are we going to do about this? What are you, what are you guys going to do about this? And what did they say? Listen to this. Psalm, or I'm sorry, Acts 6, 3 through 4. Therefore, brothers, this is what, this is what they said to the, the men who were standing there with the concern. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In other words, choose seven men who are spiritually mature, whom we will appoint to this duty. Here it is. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. They were not going to give up the importance of prayer and studying the Word of God to pass out bread. Let's find people who can do the bread thing and make sure that everybody's getting fair amounts of bread. But we must be given to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So where does this compulsion come from? Again, it's generated by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. The measure of a person's spirituality is not how well they conform to the responsibility to pray. It's how they obey the Holy Spirit when he compels them to pray. It's not about you making this part of your an external duty that you do. And they check the box every day. Yeah, I prayed this morning. Check the box. I, I, did, I did my prayer. No, no. It's throughout the day, all through the day, listening to the Holy Spirit 
as he compels you to pray. To pray for others, that's a big one. We're going to close with that. that. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. Um, what's the nature of Paul's prayer in verse 9 through 11 that we read? Let's go back to our text. Here's the nature of it. In these three verses, Paul prays that they would grow in God's love and that it would reveal several things. First, write it down. It would reveal excellence. It would reveal integrity. He's talking about the believer and the character of the believer. His prayer was that their character would develop, their spiritual maturity would grow. And so first, that you would come into excellence in prayer, that there would be integrity. Thirdly, that good works would flow out of prayer. Fourthly, that your prayer, prayers would bring glory to God. Okay, let's look at this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's talking about the love factor in the believer's life. It, it, this is not an unfamiliar subject for the Apostle Paul, as we've already seen by Scripture. Okay? He, he, he starts every letter with love for the people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit compelled Paul in his writings. Never start with something harsh. You start with love. Until you are filled with the love of God, don't approach them. Let the love of God fill your heart. Now sit down and write to them. And what's going to ooze out first? Love for them. Love for them. I love that. Most of the time when Paul talks about the love factor, he also couples it with two other things, faith and hope. I want you to not just experience the love of God, but I want you to walk in the, in the hope of God. I want you to grow in your faith before God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, these three remain. What? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these three is? Love is the greatest commodity that God has placed in you by the Holy Spirit. Write that down. God's love is the greatest commodity that he has placed inside of me. Paul tells us several things about the love in this passage. First of all, that love comes from God. Look what he said. And it is my prayer that your love may abound. Well, wait a minute. That means he's asking God that your love would abound. Why? Because the love that he wants to see abound inside of you came from God. What we're not talking about, some kind of a feeling-based love. We're not talking about uh, a responsive love. We're talking about a love that comes from heaven, uh, uh, that God places in you. It's a divine love. And then secondly, that this love is already in them by the Spirit, but it needs to increase. Look what he says. I, I, my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Yes, the love of God is in you because the Spirit's in you. But that's not enough. See, some of you are resting in that. Yeah, the Spirit's in me. Yeah, I, I know the love of God. You're missing it. You got that when you were saved. Oh, it's wonderful. But now he's saying, let that love increase. 
every day increase in that love that your love may abound more and more. Thirdly, the increase of this love inside a believer is a choice. Oh, that tells us this is a different kind of love. This is a different kind of love. It is an agape or agape love. It's a it's a uh, love that comes from the will. It's a love that you choose to give. You choose to grow in this love. It, it is nothing like the world's love, which is feeling-based. I love you because when I'm with you, I feel so good. I love you so much, I want to marry you. It's an impulsive love. It's a feeling-based love. And if you're saying that on that day, there will be a day, if that's what your love is based upon, there will be a day that you'll also say, I don't love you anymore. I don't feel it anymore. A shallow love. That's not what this is. Paul is saying this is an agape love. This is a love of choice. This is a love that you will to do. I will love others, whether I feel it or not. I will walk in the love of God today. I will allow the love of God today to grow me to the point that I would open my Bible and not have fear, but let the love of God bring perfect peace and let me study the word that I can grow. See, it's a love that's based upon, not feeling, but based upon an act of the will. And it always plays out in action. This love of God, this agape love that is, comes from the, the will. See, I, I choose after, I ooh, forgot how many years we've been married. Um, you don't remember either, do you, right now? See, she's... <laughs> So I'm saved, okay. Um, we have to think about it, don't we? Okay, uh, thir- I'm going to say we're almost 38 years is what we're approaching. That's it, okay. Hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm, hmm. Um, you don't stay married 38 years because of feelings. It's because I choose, and my wife chooses to love me. It's an act of the will. Amen? Well, the same is true in your relationship with God. You don't stay strong in the Lord by feelings. You get up every day and you choose to grow in Christ. Make sense? And then lastly, it's a deep love. Oh, it's deep. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, love's not about feelings. It's about what I know to be true, the verity of Scripture. The reason my love is strong, the reason my love is growing is because I know the promises of God's Word, and I will walk in them, and I will let them lead me through my marriage, lead me through my personal growth, lead me in my how I relate to my brothers and sisters. They came to Jesus. Well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And Jesus says, well, there's this guy who was traveling down the road and he saw 
a man who had been beaten almost to death, laying in the gutter on the side of the ditch on the side of the road. And he stopped, got off of his donkey, and he walked over. Listen, remember this, God's love is action. He got off his animal, he walked over, looked down into the ditch, and then he climbed into the ditch. And he ministered to the man in the mud, if it was raining, in the dirt. And blood was all over him. He ministered. He loved with a godly love. He chose. He had a will to love others. We love others because he first loved us. He ministered to that man. But then he told the story. Jesus went on and said that there was a priest and a Levi. These are the ones who are religious. These are the ones who represent the the religion of Israel. They saw the guy in the ditch, and what did they do? They went to the other side of the road, as far away from him as possible. Why? Because they were afraid it would affect their worship of God in the temple. If I touch him, I'll be unclean for seven days, and I won't be able to minister at the temple. What did the Old Testament priest say, Samuel? Obedience is greater than sacrifice. It's not about your position at church and you ministering at church. It's about you obeying God in the moment when the Spirit compels you to love people the way God loved you. See, real biblical love isn't blind. You come into greater understanding of God in His Word. That's what compels you to love. It's not blind love. The world gives blind love all the time. It comes and it goes. But, but real love really ministers deeply. So, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. I want you to look, if you will, take your Bible and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn, if you will. 1 Corinthians 1. I want to close with this. Actually, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to see verse 10. See, you don't come into this kind of love out of your own understanding. You'll never get there. The Holy Spirit has to be in you. And you've got to seek Him every day. For this love to be real in your life and to be played out in how you treat other people. And so I want to give you this in closing, a quick little thing here. Let's just, we're going to move away from the text. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, actually, uh, I'm going I'm, I'm to skip down. I, I was going to give you, well, let me just give you the, look at verse 1 real quick in chapter 2. And when I, and I, this is Paul speaking, when he came to the church in Corinth, look what he said. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I wasn't trying to impress you. For I decided, I, I willed to not rely on what I know. I just want to be led of the Spirit in the moment. Let him lead me. For I decided not to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to keep it simple and to the point. 
And I was with you, look at this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. You get a sense of humility in what he's saying, a sense of brokenness. I have nothing to say to these people except what the Spirit of God gives me. And the only message God's given me is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit who lives in me compel me to say the words I use. So that, here's why, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, in in, in my wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of of glory. But as it is written, what what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God had prepared for those who love him. That's not about heaven, by the way. We misquote that. It's not about heaven. It's about God giving understanding to a believer who has the Spirit of God. No other person on this earth has that understanding. And he says in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Paul's clear about that. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit goes to God, and God reveals everything about you so that the Spirit knows how to minister to you. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. What is the spirit of the world? Satanic. By the way, a lot of things happening in churches is demonic driven. If there's anything happening in a church that's not founded in the word of God, it's demonic driven. But it comes off as if it's spiritual. It is spiritual, but it's not the Holy Spirit spiritual. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might, here's why, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We might understand the word, the truths, and we impart this truth in words not taught by human wisdom. This is not a a, a secular human belief system, worldly system of belief, we're imparting the truths of the word of God to you, taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you're not spiritual, you're not going to get it. So there's, let me just give you, in closing, there's three types of people. I want you today to be able to, to hear all three types. There's two types in each of the three. So a total of six different kinds of people. But I want you to hear all of them, and then I want you to, to, by the Holy Spirit, ask the question, which one am I? Get a clear picture of who you are, because that's your beginning point. You don't know where you're going until you know where you are. Right? So the first type of person, there's two, there's two subcategories, but the first type, write it down, is the natural man. The natural man. Okay? Now look at the verse, look at verse 14 in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We just read it, but let me say it again. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit's not in him, he can't discern them. He doesn't even care to discern them. It's folly. A natural person, there's two types. 
the ungodly. You say, well, what, what, what does it mean to be ungodly? It means you have zero desire to know God. When, he, when you hear the gospel, you completely reject it and walk away laughing. That's an ungodly person. And Romans chapter 1 deals with that. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth was presented to all men, but many are ungodly. They don't want to hear it. They suppress it in unrighteous acts. Okay? And, and that's the first type of ungodly man, the sec- or unnatural man. The second type of unnatural person is the religious. Ooh. People who know how to mimic being a Christian. But it's not a relationship with Jesus at all. It's a religion that they've created. Churches are filled with religious people. Some of you today who love to study the Word of God, who have served on boards and committees, who have history of being in the church, giving money to the church, you're not even saved yet because your experience with God is religious and you don't know it. You don't get it. Jesus said, if the blind leads the blind, they both fall into a pit. You're blind and those that you speak with are being over, who are also like you, unru- they're, they're not saved, they're blind too. What's the outcome? You're going to fall. You say, no, I won't. I'm, I'm faithful. I go to church. I'm not going to leave the church. And I'm, uh, When Jesus returns, you're going to experience the ultimate rejection. I never knew you. Depart from me. Those of you who practice, listen, lawlessness, My law said that you come through me to know God the Father. You have built your own set of religious laws, and they will cause you to one day be rejected by Jesus. So the natural man, two types, ungodly and and the religious. The second type of person, the carnal. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians Okay, look at this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Listen to what he says. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, a, a spiritual babe in Christ, they should receive spiritual milk. But that's not all the kind of, that's not the only kind of carnal person there is. Look what Paul says next. And even now, years later, you are still not ready to come off of spiritual milk. For you are still of the flesh. You're still carnal. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So the second type of person is a carnal person. To be carnal is to be saved. You say, how do you know that? Because he addressed them. He's talking about carnal people. And look how he, what he starts. But I, 
brothers. These are brothers in Christ. These are, these are saved people he's talking to. But the one type is the carnal person who is a babe. That's, there's two types of carnal people. The first is a babe. And you should be on milk. And as a babe in Christ, when you're new in the faith, you don't really know a whole lot, right? So what happens is you could easily fall into saying the wrong thing, behaving the wrong way, because you've not grown up to understand it yet. What does a baby do? A lot. A little tiny infant, physical baby. What does it do a lot? It dirties diapers. You're constantly changing the diaper of an infant. But do you ever go to an infant that has a dirty diaper and say, what were you thinking? No. You expect that baby to make a mess. That's how it is with spiritual babes in Christ. We, we don't try to put on them spiritual maturity. They're not there yet. So we just show love. We come alongside them. Hey, did anyone tell you that now that you're in Christ, you should keep seeking things above? You don't have to cuss anymore. Until somebody says that, they might not get it. They don't understand the conviction of the Spirit yet on that. So, so that's the first type. The second type of carnal Christian and you are a Christian, it's not a babe, it's a brat. You're a spiritual brat. You should have gone off of milk years before, but you're still sucking at the teat. You're still a babe. And what's happened over the years is because you've not matured, you've not progressed in your walk with Christ to be a spiritual young man or a woman, because of that, you make demands. Well, if they don't do it this way, then I'm out of here. You gossip. You quarrel. You do the very things that Paul's identifying here in brats. He's saying you're quarreling among each other. You're sowing seeds of discord. You're a spiritual brat. You need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to develop. And then the third type of, of person is the spiritual person. So you've got, you got the unnatural, you've got the carnal, and you've got the spiritual. The spiritual man or woman, there's two types. Spiritual young men and women who used to be babes or brats, but the Spirit of God spoke to them and they began to grow into being young spiritual men and young spiritual women, meaning I'm learning more and more I'm, I'm, I've learned the foundations of the faith, and I'm moving beyond that. And in my behavior, in my actions, I'm actually applying the love of God to other people. I'm walking in that. I'm growing. I'm learning. Okay? That's a good thing. The, the, the other type of spiritual person, it's not just spiritual young men and women. It's also spiritual mothers and fathers who come alongside babes and help them to move after they've been weaned into being spiritual young men and women and what that looks like. The Bible says that the older women should teach the younger women what it looks like to be a mom with children. Older men teach the younger men what it means to walk in the role of a man, to carry authority for your family what that really looks like by the Word of God. Let me just tell you something. See, 
most churches, including BBF, we don't think of it this way. This is the way Paul lays it out here in the text. But we don't think of it that way. So you don't have a clue where you are. But if you'll, if you'll listen with discernment to what the Spirit is saying by this Scripture, God will reveal to you where you are. And you need to take the next step. So we need those who are babes, who are ready to move beyond milk, to start growing as spiritual young men and women. And let me tell you what we desperately need that most churches don't have, and our church, I'm afraid, is one of them. We don't have a plethora of spiritual moms and dads. Oh, we've got a lot of people who are at the age where they should be spiritual moms and dads. But to be a spiritual mom or a dad means every week I am pouring myself into younger ones in the faith. They know I'm praying for them. I call them regularly asking, how can I pray for you? Because what you're going through, I've been through. And I just want an update. How are you doing? And I'm always available to meet with you if you need a, a listening ear. And then they'll, they'll point them to the word of God. Spiritual moms, spiritual dads. It's not enough to just be a babe. And it's not enough to be a spiritual young man or woman. And it's not enough just to be a spiritual older man or woman. Be a mom. Be a dad to those that are younger in the faith. Amen? This is the goal. And this is what our elders are working on right now as we talk about and pray about discipleship. Helping the body to grow up in the Lord. Believe me, we're working on it. And we will come to you once God has given us clarity. And we want to see these kinds of structures put in place where you can identify where you are and there are clear steps that we have laid before you to know how to move from where you are to the next step. Amen? All right. Can we give God thanks today by prayer for what he's teaching us individually, what he's saying to us? Wherever you are, listen, wherever you are, God is ready by the Spirit to take you to the next step. And we'll have prayer partners and elders that will be up here. If you want to pray about that with them, they'll, first of all, keep it in confidence. They're not going to share it with others. And secondly, they will be supportive to you. And they will allow you even to pray. And they'll just agree with you in prayer as you move from being a, a, a religious person to being a babe or moving from being a brat to being a spiritual young man or woman, or being a babe moving to spiritual young man or woman. Whatever stage, or maybe you're an, an older adult, you've been in the Lord for years, who are you pouring into? They will pray with you about the Holy Spirit showing you, revealing to you someone in the church that you can come alongside and love. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your love, and thank you for your word, even these three little verses have so much for us. Um, that's the beauty of the Bible. It's, it's a living book. It's always teaching. And today, Lord, oh, how I pray that this body of believers at Bureau Bible Fellowship would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. By the way, if you're unsaved, that means you're, unna you're an unnatural person you're, or you're a natural person.
to move from being an unsaved natural person to being a babe, you need to understand the gospel and you respond to it. You come as well because we will pray with you and we will show you what it looks like to respond to the gospel, okay? So that today you can walk out of here a babe in Christ. Amen. Come, please. God bless. The rest of us, let's fellowship. Get to know each other.